This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in Friday, September 1st, a.k.a. my dad's birthday on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew. Dude, thanks for like smiling at that Betts. <laughs> it did. It, it got me good. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, happy birthday to Kyle's dad. Uh, I'm sure he's listening to the show, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Huge, huge listener. I mean, you gotta boost the listens from the family members, right? I mean, that's that's at least 55 percent of our audience. I got my yeah. I got all my siblings. Got my parents not only listening on their cell phones but on desktop just to make sure our downloads are up there and, and we keep our jobs. I think that's the funny part about the fantasy football industry that no one really talks about is you kind of have the a lot of the same people like passing around the same podcasts, especially in the Twitter sphere. And then you have the family members who are like, hey, we support you. We love that you love this fake thing that you look at all the time, but you're not playing in the NFL and we support you. But the family members that care about a DFS embedding podcast. I mean, my mom listens to every show. She says, I don't know anything you're saying the whole time at all, except for when I trash her uh, mashed potatoes. Oh, dude, that is, that's one of my favorite times of the year, right around Thanksgiving. You know, I love that slate, as you know, three gamer, it's so fun, but I mostly love that episode because there's about a 97% chance Kyle's mom's mashed potatoes are getting trashed on the show, which dude, that takes a lot out of you to say that live for a lot of people to hear. And um, and I, I would love to know what the conversations are like at the table at Thanksgiving when you have to go over there and someone says, hey, man, you want some potatoes? And you're just like, get that out of my face. <laughs> I have to humble myself just to tell my mom, you know what? Don't do that. Don't 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 make that again. She makes a lot of great stuff. My mom's a great cook. Mama Borgannoni. She knows what she's doing. If people but- are wondering what that's from, there was a random episode probably three years ago at this point where... I forget how it came up. We were talking about like our favorite Thanksgiving foods and you just trashed your mom's mashed potatoes. You were like, they are not good. They are terrible. I love her, but they are just not good to eat. I mean, I just want to be honest. It's you, you can't, you know, you can't win a GPP every single week, right? Like you're going to, you're going to have some losses. It's a long-term approach. And I've chosen that with my mother, with DFS, just to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take my wins and losses. On this episode, Betts and I will talk prop strategy to get you ready for week one. 
I know a lot of people, you can see lines on underdog or prize picks, and we're going to get those for DraftKings, FanDuel, wherever else you get your line, Caesars. We want to make sure that you're not just blindly saying, oh, this guy could totally hit this. He could totally do that. And by the way, that's the voice of just the average crony out there that says, hey, I like this line. I like this team. He could totally do that. Any player, okay? Any player besides Terrace Marshall can hit their line, okay? Anybody can do it. <laughs> Accurate. Hey, he dude made the roster. That, that's at least saying something, right? That's a win. Yeah, no, it's a huge win. So we'll talk about props, strategy, best way to look at it. Obviously, we're very big on taking unders. We root for bad football. That is our strategy. Root for bad football, take an under, sweat it out. I get it's not as fun, but it's probably more profitable. And then we'll talk about DFS roster percentages. This is something in the DFS pass we have for you where in the optimizer, you can actually see what for week one, you know, this is where this player's projected. We'll talk about some of those on the show, uh, on this show. And then bets. I don't know if you know this next week, we have football. I am finally coming around to that. When you told me earlier this week, we were coming, coming up with our game plan of, all right, let's record this day. And we've got these shows coming up. Kyle's like, well, yeah. And then next week, you know, we record Tuesday. I was like, why are we doing that? You're like, kickoff is Thursday night. I was like, wait, hold up. <laughs> Football is in less than a week by the time this episode comes out. So yeah, man, it's it's exciting. It's caught me off guard, but I've finally come around to it. I'm ready. I'm ready for Chiefs, Lions. It'll be fun. And with football coming back, dude, you and I are going to two shows every single week. Yeah, I think that's the reminder for people. If you blocked it out of your mind, you know, Betts and I haven't done a Tuesday show since, uh, what, before the playoffs? We go all the way through week 18. So I was going to say week 18, yeah. So, yes, you will have this hit your podcast feeds Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Tuesdays episodes are kind of just a primer for the week and saying, hey, here's the salaries. Here's the, the, the games to look at just to kind of get you prepared. And then Fridays is kind of like our main show that we get to walk through our stacks, walk through uh, you know, who we like for cash. But for this next Tuesday, the entire episode will be on showdown strategy. So single game stuff, talk about Detroit, talk about KC, and Betts will give you the winning lineup. Betts is actually more of a showdown player. I'm not trying to be cute here. You're, you're better at showdown than me. I will be honest with that. And you get to write that up in the DFS pass. So this next week, I'm just trying to put you to work here. You will have an article coming out about uh, how to defeat the DraftKings showdown, right? Yeah, how to win a million dollars, guaranteed. I mean, there's no questions about it. Someone on this, someone listening to this show is probably going to win it. Uh, but yes, every every week in the DFS Pass, you get uh, my favorite captain picks, flex plays, game theory approach, kind of game preview of how, how I'm approaching that Thursday night football game every single week. So that one will, will be up next week, probably on Wednesday evening or Thursday morning for Chiefs and Lions, and then every week thereafter for every single Thursday night game. I feel like we should start a really simple tradition this year for DFS. <laughs> Basically, it's this. If you win a contest, one, you got to buy the jersey of the player that, that won it for you. I don't even care if it's a bad player, but like you, you have to buy that jersey. But two, if you take home a giant prize and you're just you know feeling generous, you don't have to give the money to Bets or I. You could, though, give a small amount to our kids' college funds. Well, I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> please, let's please do that. It's like, hey, how did you get in this college? Well, my dad talked in this podcast in the basement for a while, and then some random guy won, and then they gave me like $15,000. 
He told me to play Terrace Marshall. Now I have his jersey <laughs> and I'm in college. <laughs> and the thing is, my dad's still trying to win. He's a dummy, but the, but their friend did. So yeah, no, it'll be it'll be interesting because we're gonna get some stories. It happens every year where we get sent in. Hey, I won this week. Thanks. I was just listening to the podcast. I got the DFS pass. So go to dfspass.com and use the promo code DFSPod if you want to save a little bit of money on that. Um, I, I I can't say enough about our product, the things that we've added uh, to it. I just talked through some of our uh, with some of our writers and some of the new things that were added to the DFS pass. So it is jam packed this year. But let's start off the show talking about some prop strategy. Prop it like it's hot. So during the season, we get to put out a official props article that we start rolling out on Wednesday and then slowly throughout the week, we give the alerts in our Discord channel that says, hey, here's what we like. Here's this line. It could be moving. There's a bunch of different, you know, sites that you can look at. And we thought it was so important to make sure that on this episode, before we get into week one, we talk about prop strategy and what to do. What not to do. I feel like there's a lot of what not to do uh, with that. And so we'll talk about some general strategy. I'll end this by also talking about underdog, which is a little different because it's, you know, more of a parlay style. You have to, you know, pick them uh, two to five and they have to be on different teams. So Betts, let's talk about just from the top down, like make sure if you, if you're going to do it one way, you have to do this first. Like you have to shop for different lines. For sure. And everything that we're going to talk about today, you can also find an article form if you'd like on the site. It's a free article. Uh, it's called How to Win Betting NFL Player Props. If you just search that, that is on the site. But like you said, it's so simple, but it is so important to shop around for the best line and have money on multiple sports books. If you are pigeonholed, and if you're taking this seriously, if you're pigeonholed into one line, one site, that will work for several bets but you were going to miss out on a lot of opportunities to find stale lines on different books as we get news to find just better lines on different books uh, every week, basically. And so that is something that I think is very important. And you can look, you know, state by state, wherever you live, some states don't have all these sports books, but they have, you know, prize picks, they have underdog, uh, other parlay pick them style sites. I can't do that in Pennsylvania where I am. So I have, um, you know, a couple of different options that I, I go to different sports books, but basically Last week, or last year, rather, in week one, just a point to the example of what can happen out there, Stefan Diggs' receiving line on Caesars got released at 67 and a half yards. Like, okay, that seems very reasonable. You go over to Underdog just a day or two later, it's at 79 and a half. Now, we're not going to see that drastic of a difference often, but every now and then it does happen, and you're like, okay, well, no matter what side you like of that line, if you want the under play it on underdog. If you want the over, play it on Caesars, right? Like that simple uh, shopping can help you become a much more profitable sports spreader uh, in the long run. The other thing is that you need to be mindful of the odds that you're laying. So you may love, you know, this 40 and a half rushing yard line or for whoever it is, but if it's minus 125 versus minus 115, that doesn't seem like a lot in the odds market. But if you think about if the bet loses, like if you're betting $125 is the minus 125 would suggest to win 100 bucks versus betting 115 to win 100 bucks. If you lose, like I'd much rather lose 115 than 125 dollars, and that doesn't sound like a huge difference. That will add up over the course of time, and it can really drain your bankroll. So have money on multiple books, 
shop around for the best lines, be very mindful of the odds that you're laying. You also, I think for me, I need to convert them into percentages. So there are implied odds that you can do. So there, there's really easy resources out there. If you want to just Google betting calculator, there's lots of good ones out there that you can, the Action Network has one that I've used for years that I'll just be like, okay, I see this is minus 166. What does this mean in terms of the implied odds when this is going to hit? If I bet this 50 times, how often is this going to hit? You can actually look that up. So for me, I need actual percentages because then it actually tells me like, oh, this this is really a steep price to pay, you know, if you're, you know, at certain odds. So keep that in mind. If you're new to this, there's different ways to look at it. Um, there's some great resources. Bets and I have done a book club before, you know, where we've read some stuff. It was pretty cool. It's just the two of us. But um, well, I know. Uh, Sitting by the lot- fire, <laughs> cup of I know, tea in hand, just reading a book. We didn't even get to read together. It was just like you did it by yourself. I did it. And then we <laughs> talked about it. It was a really cool club. Um, Basically. The Logic of Sports Betting is a really, really great book if you want to look that up. Shout out. Um, let's also just talk about the difference because it's possible to like a player in DFS, like a player in redraft, and then not like what their prop is. Like it's it. There's so many different nuances to fantasy football. So when somebody says like, oh, you don't like this player, it's like, I don't like this player at a certain cost. Uh, and with props, you do have that. Like if, if you look at a line, you go, oh, the Higgin totally hit that. Like, oh, that you know, S- Stefan Diggs last year, you, you saw that line, 79 and a half receiving yards. Like, oh, he can totally hit that. And he did, 122 in week one. But there's also a chance for them to hit the under. And over the course of the season, unders in general uh, – tend to hit. In DFS, we're we're searching for a big outcome, right? We're searching for someone to hit something that's their 80, 90th percent. In props, we're looking at median. So that's like, I think the best place for me to compare props and DFS is for cash because in cash, we're looking at median projections. So maybe explain why that is more of what we're looking at. Yeah, there's a lot of times that we'll, you know, take a prop specifically an under or something like that. And then at the same time, we're like, well, he's actually a decent GPP play. And you're like, well, how can that even be? But if you think about, like Kyle said, it's the price that you're paying, for example, and also understanding that the player prop betting market does not equal DFS upside. For example, probably one of the most boom bust players in the NFL is George Kittle, right? He's going to have some massive weeks, some very high highs, but some very low lows, like, you know, some two for 20 games. And you're like, okay, well, that stinks. But I am willing in DFS as a GPP player sometimes to live with those lows because I understand three, four, five times a year, usually George Kittle is giving you a massive slate winning performance. It doesn't happen super often, but when it does, it's massively profitable, right? 90th percentile outcomes type of stuff. But in the in the props betting market, he's going to hit his receiving underline probably more often than not this year. But when he does hit it, it's a massive right, massive uh, jump, right? So it's just very different in terms of how you look at it from a ceiling projection versus a median outcome projection. And in the player prop betting market, that's what we're looking at. We're not looking at can he hit this line? Can he smash this line? It's just how often does this hit? And what are our numbers telling us about how frequently that's going to happen? It's so important, too, that you, you need to be able to shop for the best line. You need to find the medium outcome. But also, lines will move, right? Like, a lot of times people will look at some of the stuff we have like, I can't get that line anymore. And um, the only reason that happens is because... Moving the lines. Yeah, I maybe. mean, that deep, deep voice. Okay, so this is, just so you know, 
Betts and I don't actually move the lines. We, like, we don't throw around that big of a bankroll. We like to joke about it. We like to joke that our listeners are the ones with the big payrolls, right? Like the people listening to the show, they're the ones, they're the CEOs, they're the doctors, the lawyers, whatever other rich professions there are, I don't know, out there. They're the ones moving the lines, right? Oh, absolutely. Everyone on the DFS pass is probably moving the lines, seriously. Um, but this is something that does happen in the prop market way faster than a traditional, you know, uh, Chiefs minus six and a half is, is the week one line, then that sort of line or a total. It takes a lot of movement for those, a lot of uh, money, I should say, and a lot of uh, volume of wagers for those lines to move on a weekly basis. These props, like we're not the only group giving these out. There's other fantasy sites. There's other betting sites. A lot of people are on these certain things. There's articles, there's podcasts. So as money comes in on these lines, they're going to move within a day, two days, something like that. And if you're trying to, to be profitable, getting ahead of that movement is a very important thing. You want to make sure that you're not just chasing moving lines. For example, let's pretend, you know, Joe Mixon's prop for rushing is like 90 and a half yards. Um, you like the over. By Sunday, you missed it. And all of a sudden, it's up to 97 and a half. And you're like, ah, oh, it's a great matchup. Like, I'm, I'm still going to take it. Finishes with 95 yards. You lose. But you could have won if you got the best line. So, Sometimes there's still going to be an edge in the line that is out there come Friday, Saturday, but sometimes it's gone and you just got to live with that. Like if you missed it, you missed it, right? You don't want to chase that. So be mindful of when you're betting these things, be mindful of uh, the opener versus, you know, what it was, what it is now, because you want to be really careful chasing those things. And the way to make sure that you're getting the lines that we're taking is in Discord. So if you are part of the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, part of the DFS Pass, you get D Discord access as part of that in our props channel, there's a pinned message at the top from Papa Josh, Discord manager, um, that you can click. It'll take you to the message. All you have to do is respond to it with like a, an emoji or something, and it'll get you set up for alerts. So whenever we take something, we alert the channel. Those who want the notifications will get it. We'll tell you what line we took, which book, um, and then usually I'll, I'll link the article that I write up. That way you can see our rationale behind it, our reasoning, and we're not just blindly giving you lines to follow. You give, get our process in the, in the, uh, the total process there. So like, uh, let me just give you an example. It's just, I'll just pull this one just randomly, like out of nowhere. I don't, just pulling it out, you know? Yeah, uh, let's out just of nowhere. Say, yeah, let's just say somebody on this podcast last week, I don't know, gave a line for, uh, oh, what's this player's name? Amon Ra. And his receiving yards line was, I, I think I put, oh man, I can't remember, 77 and a half. Let's just throw that out there. This is, I mean, this is a good bit so far, right? You like that? What is it now? Oh, it's 73 and a half, baby. Oh, ho, 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 moving the lines, no big deal. You know what we do? Now we come back in on the over. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, we, <laughs> I did look at that and go, oh, I wouldn't bet that anymore. <laughs> that is a good example, though. Like four or five yards of movement seems like nothing, but it's, it's kind of a lot in this market. So if you missed it, like you said, you missed it and you move on to other opportunities. So our main strategy is that we take mostly unders. I would say... 75, 70% of the time, 75%. Is that, is that, or is that, you could probably give a better number. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was like routinely unders all the time, but the markets have corrected and books have gotten better. So we actually took way more overs last year than I felt comfortable. Like every time I wrote it up, I was like, this is just, I, I hate this, but the market overcorrected. So I'm interested to see how it goes this year. But in general, we're targeting unders whenever it makes sense. Not that we won't bet overs because we will. But it's just the unders historically will cash at a higher rate. Yeah, it unders about 60% of the time. So if you just blindly hit through the unders, 
I think you're probably going to do well. Bets and I don't really bet totals or spreads. Like we don't give that in ours. But part of my process is, I, I shared this on the podcast, I just blindly throw out unders on the final line if they're over 50. Because I've seen over the last couple of years, if a game at kickoff is above 50, it will hit the under around 58% of the time. So I'll just blindly throw that out there if you just want to be on the under train, root for bad football. But uh, yeah, for, for props, an over, I think people don't realize an over, you have to have so many things go right. One, they actually have to perform. They have to get, you know, receptions like Amon Ra. Can he hit six and a half over six and a half receptions? Heck yeah. Like he can totally do that. That's, that's a pretty high line. I mean, one, he can't get injured. The game flow has to go a certain way. So it has to. And I think most people would say, oh, well, the, this game, Detroit and Kansas City, like they're going to need him. There's nobody else on the field, of course. But the quarterback has to be in the right spot. Like, it, you know, Jared Goff can't go out. Uh, it has to be accurate. The defense, like think about Kansas City. You can also switch the other way. Like, won't they think Amon Ra's the one guy they're going to throw to over and over? So you can go so many different ways. Right now, his line is, I think, at a really good spot. Six and a half receptions, 73 and a half receiving yards on underdog. I'm not going to touch that. We'll talk about that from a DFS perspective because his salary and the way that you're actually thinking about that in a showdown lineup is completely different. So I could be totally about Amon Ra on showdown and it, and under on his prop, which I was. So I just love that I get to have all of those. And either way, I mean, you're winning at the end of the night, right? That's that's how you do it. Uh, but you're you're right. That's the perfect example of like when he hits, like he's going to get these games, right? Where he has 12 targets, 10 catches, 100 yards and a score. And like that range of outcomes is wide, kind of like George Kittle. When it hits for DFS, like we want that. But if you are looking like that median outcome, like you said, the lines moved, maybe the under makes sense. So that's a, a very good example. But yeah, man, chaos happens in the NFL. It's easier to find things that are going to go wrong than it is to find things that are going to go right is the main takeaway here. Yeah. And I just want to throw out one quick thing on underdog. So underdog is a little different for their pick'em because there's no straight odds, right? So you can't really see like minus 125 or whatever. You can compare these to other books. Like Betts was mentioning, like that's the best way to do this. So what is the line on underdog? What is the line on DraftKings or wherever else you play Caesar? And based on how they do their odds, the best bets are for you to do uh, the three parlay pick them or the five. Okay, so those are the best in terms of the implied odds. They require the lowest individual pick win rate needed and they have the lowest implied site fees. It is very tempted to go to four because it 10Xs your money, and it's very always tempting to go to five. You need to be okay if you're going to do five that uh, you're probably going to lose, and if you want to use the insurance option, you can. You can still correlate when you get to underdog because obviously, you know, if your quarterback's going to throw for a ton of yards, uh, your wide receiver's going to probably have a lot too. So if you like golf, you probably like Amon Ra's over. But you have to pick from at least two different teams in your pick'em, so it gets a little different. So for me, you can find value. I love using underdog to find value because their lines are usually out earlier. Same thing with prize picks, and you can compare them to the bigger books. So this year I'll probably be releasing more underdog lines because those are the ones we have out right now as of this recording, but we'll have more out this next week and we'll get to notify you guys. So any last thoughts on prop strategy? No, I think we covered it uh, pretty well. If anyone has any follow-up questions on that, like sometimes we'll post some lines and and I'm totally cool if you guys ask us like, hey, 
you know, you posted this on Wednesday, here's where it is on Friday, you still taking this, yes or no. I'm happy to help you guys out there. But yeah, that's kind of a good strategy take home point. I think we hit on all the major, uh, major points here. Uh, and I, I think the phrase you just hear is like, no, 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 I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. That's what you I'm just cool, said. man. I'm super cool. You kidding me? That's the advice people follow bets. You'll be okay. You might be cool. Be, you might be cool. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So this episode is kind of like a twofer, you know, a little two for one, where we're talking prop strategy, and then we're changing gears going into DFS roster percentages. Do you feel like you can shift your mind right now, Bets? Like, I mean, because you just have to take everything you just said, all the cool things, the things that people are writing down in their notebooks at home and then change it into DFS. Can you do that for us? I'm going to try. This is chapter two of this awesome book that we just wrote. All right, let's go to chapter two. He's so hot right now. That's right. I started this show off with prop it like it's hot and then let's just use that drop, right? The he's so hot right now. Why not? So if you need a refresher, Go back. We had a DFS goals episode. We had a cash game strategy episode. We had a GPP strategy episode. The last three weeks, they have just been, as the kids say, bangers. They love, I mean, the hits keep on playing. But I need to make sure I say this. There are people, you're joining with us for the first time. You're starting to get into DFS, betting, whatever it is. I cannot stress enough. Go to our website. (laughs) Go to thefantasyfootballers.com. If you have any questions about Hey, what do they mean by cash? What do they mean by GPP? You can find all of those. We have a DFS 101 section where we explain all of this. We you know, get to talk about some of the terms, define it for you. All of those things in our DFS section. So there's an entire strategy section that I just want to make sure people know about where the podcast, I mean, it's so weird to think about this because Betts and I are on the website every single day, 
but some people listen to our podcast and have never been to our website. Imagine what? that. I, it's it, and I get that. It's totally fine. But there's so much that you can get in an audio format. If you're a visual person like myself, then I need to see it in front of me. So we have so many articles that Betts and I have done over the years that we think can be helpful. So the fantasyfootballers.com DFS section. We have a DFS 101 section. We have tons of free stuff. And then, of course, in the DFS pass, we have the really, really, really good stuff. The good stuff. Last week, we talked about a couple different things with GPPs. But here's the reminder that I think I'm going to hammer home like five more times in this episode, Bets. With tournaments, it comes down to this. Do you have good plays, right? Good projections. And are you correlating? So I'm going to say that over and over again. That's a good place to start. If you're not starting there, you got to go back a step. I mean, it, it really comes down to, can a play work? I, I am, I'm really sorry, but I will get tons of lineup questions over the next two weeks that just say, what do you think of this lineup? And I have a hard time responding to that because any lineup can work. But what I really care about is, do you have good projections that we have in the DFS pass? And are you correlating? Meaning, do you have a quarterback with a pass catcher? Do you have a bring back? Do you have somebody from the other side of that game also going on? Because nobody correlates better than somebody in the same game. So with roster percentages, what we're talking about is when you're playing this game, some players will be more popular than others. And that doesn't always mean it's a bad thing. Sometimes a player is popular because they're good, because they have good projections, right? So looking at our optimizer right now, Christian McCaffrey is projecting as a good play. Why do you think that is, Betts? Uh, perhaps because he's a top three pick or top four pick, depending on your site, in almost every redraft league currently. He is awesome. He catches the ball. He's going to have the goal line roll. This offense is great. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And even against the Steelers team that, I don't know, is gaining some steam, right? Like, I feel like the Steelers right now are a pretty popular team that people are like, oh, I think there could be sneaky. Like, Chris McCaffrey is going to project super well. Maybe that's a game that you could look at as a sneaky stack. The total's still not great. So you can talk about that, but are you correlating? Do you have good projections? But for roster percentages, last week we talked about most winning lineups in GPPs, in big tournaments, have at least two players under 5% rostered, okay? Now, 5% is is pretty low. It's not absurdly low, right? Like 5% isn't like a dart throw of 1% or 2% that rarely hit. So just because a player is rostered pretty low doesn't mean they're a bad play. Like I'm looking at Nick Chubb right now who everybody wants to have in redraft. I just drafted him in best ball right before recording. I feel great about Nick Chubb, but he's projecting under 5% because his salary is pretty expensive, right? $8,200 on DraftKings and Chris McCaffrey, Austin Eckler are right above him. So just because a player is probably not going to be rostered a ton, it doesn't mean he's a bad play. It just means here's the opportunity cost for this player. And in winning lineups, you need to be able to find players like that because they create leverage. That's kind of our big point, I would say, of this episode too, is you are taking players that are going to be projected as way more popular, like Christian McCaffrey, and you can use players like Nick Chubb who have similar projections to create leverage if... Christian McCaffrey lineups don't hit. So why do you think people don't understand that concept? Or maybe how would you <clears throat> how would you talk about leverage 
and, and define it a little bit clearer because my voice is giving out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Week one isn't even here and you're already, your voice is already crapping out on us. Um, but all seriousness, I have a little throat thing going on too, so I apologize if I cough, but uh, we're in mid-season form, man. We're good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yes, you, you need these lower rostered players basically to differentiate yourself because what you're trying to do is is capitalize on on things that go wrong for players that are popular to some degree we still want to play the popular plays because they're great they have an awesome ceiling but like you said that that week one example and and this is not advice for week one so don't take this as like this is what i would do but if you think nick chubb projects just as well as austin eckler and peek behind the curtain he kind of does in the optimizer right now uh their ceiling projection is very similar it's off by like a point like that's nothing right but you're getting a massive roster percentage discount that look if austin eckler happens to fail he doesn't catch passes for some reason they're pushing the ball down the field more keenan's healthy mike's healthy whatever and chubb rips off two huge long runs for touchdowns and catches two or three passes like he's probably beating austin eckler and meaningfully right so like you're just creating price point leverage you're creating uh, roster percentage leverage you just need guys to differentiate your lineup because if you're only playing chalk even if the chalk hits, you're just going to rise with everyone else up the leaderboard, but you won't vault up the leaderboard. Like you might min cash, you might throw in 12 bucks in a large field and win 20, but it's like, who cares, right? Like I want to be playing for first. I want to be able to climb the leaderboard as quickly as possible. And using lower rostered players is the way to do that. Yes. <clears throat> you need a combination. <laughs> you like that? You're falling apart, man. <laughs> man. Oh, okay. You got the black lung or what? I've got the black lung pop. Uh, I used a Zoolander reference yesterday with somebody, and it felt good. I don't feel like I get to use them as much. It's it's a movie that's kind of fading from a memory. Where like, no, yeah, it's like Ron Burgundy stuff. I can still use, and I think a lot of people use it. Um, but Zoolander, not by the way, Ron Burgundy sidebar. One of my favorite things to do is in the show doc for the main show is I'll write stuff sometimes and Jason will Ron Burgundy almost anything sometimes. <laughs> like Jason will just read off the teleprompter no matter what. So new game, people. I'm going to see how close to the line I can get of putting in examples in there and to see what Jason says. That would be incredible. I'm going to look out for it now because I normally don't. Well, I did it with, uh, we were talking about Adam Thielen and him and I were going back and forth about like, okay, so how do we make sure that people understand Jordan Addison has the Adam Thielen role and that the Adam Thielen role was good. And so we we're talking about how Adam Thielen like has a lot of routes run and cardio, you know, like your, your cardio example. And then I started calling oh, him sure. a corpse, a corpse on the field. And Jason just ran with it. He I just it. said it. So um, back to roster percentages while I have my voice, you need at least two players under 5% in general but you also need probably two to three players over 18%, right? So it's this it's this dance with roster percentage where we don't just look at what it says and say, oh, they're popular, fade them, or you know, oh, this person's not popular, I should play them. It's a it's a dance where you're trying to figure out the best plays that also correlate. So a lot of times my favorite kind of leverage is to find the wide receiver two for a team that projects for way less roster percentage. You know, Mike Williams has been an example in the past. Last year, you know, there was a week where it was like, Chris Godwin was popular. Mike Evans was only at 5%. You're actually seeing that. I'm seeing that for week one as well, that Mike Evans is way below Chris Godwin on a PPR site. So you're trying to find the mix of those two and, and to put them together. But you and I created a DFS checklist a couple years ago, and we're going to put that information out there again. But it's pretty simple. And if you want to write these things down or if you want to get them in article form, you can. But 
ask yourself these questions when you're doing a tournament, okay? Do you have a team stack? Okay, that sounds almost way too obvious. Like, do you have a team that has two players from it, preferably a quarterback and a pass catcher? 90% of the time, you need that in a winning lineup, okay? Do you have a game stack? In your Like, look at your roster. If you're doing a tournament, like, do you have quarterback, pass catcher, and then somebody on the opposite side? 85% of the time, you have to have that. So we're just going to lean into that. Do you have only one running back from the same game? That's like 90, 95% of the time. Why do you think that's important? Uh, running back in the same game, don't do that. Yeah, this one, I think it can work in certain scenarios, specifically last year when Austin Eckler was like the run or the wide receiver one for the Chargers with all the injuries they had. Like he's operating as the primary pass catchers. So that can work across from someone who's more of like a two down grinder. But the theory is like, you know, the best example is like Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. If those guys are absolutely rolling, you know, Henry's ripping off massive games against the Texans. Like Damian Pierce probably can't do what he does very well, which is get 18, 19, 20 carries, go for 100 yards and a score. Like they're probably going to have to throw a ton and it'll push him out of the game script, so to speak. So that's why we try to limit it. There are examples, like I said, where it can work, but think about the archetype and think about whether or not the opposing running back has a pass catching role. Yeah. And in showdown, you can throw a lot of this out the door. We're talking about, you know, big, you know, 13 game slates. That's what we're talking about. So do you have one running back from the same game? Another question you have to ask yourself in your checklist, did you pay up or punt at tight end? That's what Bets, Bets and I usually say. There's usually a pay up or a punt. And is if you do have a tight end, is he paired up with your quarterback? He doesn't have to, but keep in mind a tight end and a wide receiver have pretty close correlation. So sometimes the tight end is a good one to add in there. Do you have at least one to two players who are low rostered? So like we said earlier, two that are around five or less percent. And then last question I just want to throw out there, are any of your players so popular that you can't create meaningful leverage? Okay, like there's a certain point where a player is going to be so popular that if you don't think about it the right way, then you are just eating into something and you cannot move past anyone else. So let me give you an example from last year, Bets. Do you remember... Week six, also known as Eno Benjamin week. I actually don't remember this at all. So this is going to be uh, fun to, to try to remember what was happening in week six, which was probably like what, mid-October at this point. So Eno Benjamin has probably gotten way too much press on this podcast over the years because <laughs> he really has. <laughs> I wrote an article called the Eno Benjamin principle for best ball a couple years ago. And it was just, why did I spend so much time? Eno Benjamin has been a, pretty much nothing running back in the NFL. But in week six last year, James Conner wasn't playing. Eno Benjamin was 4,600, and he was rostered in 46% of Millimaker rosters. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, the free square running back thing is always enticing, but at what cost, right? So like, that's probably a guy, if I remember correctly, I would have been like, just play it in cash. Like, it's totally fine. Who cares? But like, in a tournament, if he gets you eight points and he's rostered at 40, 45, 50%, depending on what contest you're playing in, it doesn't matter, right? Like if he fails, you're going to have big time leverage on the field because not only in that specific scenario does a cheap running back usually result in you paying up for an expensive wide receiver, but you can almost flip the build too in those situations if you if you fade that player. So uh, man, you know, Benjamin, what a, what a time to be alive. How did he do in that game? I don't even remember. 9.5 points. Okay, which you probably wouldn't have been very happy with if you played him in a tournament. No, not at all. Like in cash, you could have survived, right? Like <clears throat> that's totally. him 
2xing, like you would have been okay, but that would have buried you in a tournament for you to say, hey, I'm going to give one of my roster spots to a popular player, and then you're just stuck there because basically half the field played him. So keep that in mind that it doesn't mean that every single time that person's a bad play. It's just also looking at your lineup and saying, if I have anybody else who's popular and they don't hit, I am completely screwed. So, <clears throat> Eno Benjamin. Yeah, think about the player too. Like sometimes it matters, right? Like it won't happen this year because Alexander Madison is the dude, but there's been times where he's been like 5,600 and Dalvin Cook gets rolled out on a Sunday morning and you're like, well, it's Alexander Madison. We've seen him do it before and he's playing the Lions. So like that is an example where I probably would just eat the chalk. But you know, Benjamin has shown us time after time after time. Uh, he's not the best at the game of football. No, and that, yeah, and and we're really we're suckers for cheap running backs. We're just suckers for it because it can work, but sometimes it doesn't. Another way to look at this too is adding up your cumulative roster percentage. So you can do this by looking in the optimizer, and you can even put in like, hey, I think that's too low. I think he's going to be more at like 25% than, you know, 18, whatever. But based off historical data, if you were to add up all the spots in your lineup for a tournament, like a big GPP, you want to shoot for somewhere around 90 to 125% total. So if Eno Benjamin was taking up 46% of your roster, like you're probably going to have to get cute in a couple different spots to really hit with that lineup. So 100% is weirdly enough, like a really good mark a lot of times. Now, sometimes the chalk will hit and you'll be at, you know, 125, 130, 140. Like there will be weeks where you're like, man, I wish I would have just played the obvious players and gotten cute in one spot. But keep that in mind. You can do that. If your roster percentages are in the 200s, like then you're just, I don't know what you're doing because you're basically saying, I'm going to pick all the popular players. If your roster percentages are too low, like if you're at 60%, 70 percent you are probably getting too cute and you're saying you know here's this backup wide receiver and or here's the backup running back because i think in this game the rb1 is going to get injured it's like you can do that for showdown do not do that in a big tournament right (laughs) yeah that's that's a tough sell for me uh personally but yeah those i like that that guardrail right it's like 90 to 125 ish look if it comes in at 127 and you love your lineup play the lineup like it doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule but like kyle said just stay away from the extremes you want to be mindful that you're not getting way too cute or just eating all the chalk because both of those are losing strategy long term all right so let's get a little bit clearer about leverage because you can create leverage in a tournament in a couple different ways one you can use players at the same position saying here's this popular running back i'm gonna find another running back that you know is a little bit lower to create leverage on the lineup you can find players at a similar price point, like, hey, this guy is, I mentioned earlier, Nick Chubb. He's 8,200. Austin Eckler's 8,400. CMC's 8,700. But Nick Chubb projects for, you know, a third or a fourth of the roster percentage of CMC. You can use that same player at the same price points. You can also use the same team against your opponents who are popular players. So, you know, instead of CD Lamb, you're playing Brandon Cooks or Michael Gallup. Like, Those are the different leverage points, and that's how you jump the leaderboards, but you don't have to get cute in every single spot. Sometimes, like we mentioned, a player is a good play because they're a good play. For instance, last year, I looked at a week where Joe Mixon happened to go for five touchdowns. Do you remember that week? Sure do, aka half of his fantasy points that year. (laughs) 
I did not play very much Joe Mixon that week. Okay, I think it was week 10. Now, Joe Mixon was the eighth most popular running back that week. Okay, so if you had Joe Mixon, you got massive leverage on the field, but there was a lot of other good plays too. Like, don't don't get me wrong. It's like Travis Etienne was 39% rostered because he was so cheap. He went for 29 points. Kenneth Walker went for 30 points and he was 13%, but Joe Mixon went for 58 and he was at 12%. So my point is more saying like, there's going to be good plays across the board and some popular plays are there for a reason, but keep in mind, you can always find players that create leverage further down. So one of my favorite things to do is if I'm looking at a certain position, like running back, I'll look at the top 10 most rostered players and go, okay, look at their ceiling outcomes. Does Joe Mixon have a similar ceiling outcome as Ramondre Stevenson? And you can look at that in the optimizer and you go, he actually does. So then why is he rostered at only 12% where Ramondre Stevenson was 40%, okay? And they were basically the same price too. So those are the questions you get to bring up, not just, I like this player, I have this gut feeling, like, Ask yourself, like, what what am I giving up? What's the salary difference? And really, there wasn't that big of a difference between the two. And I know we're looking in hindsight. So keep that in mind. You can do the same thing at wide receiver. I'm looking at our projections right now in the optimizer. Justin Jefferson, imagine that. Looks like he's going to be popular and his projection's great. But in that game, you know, they're playing the Buccaneers. They should win. It's a six and a half point spread. But Chris Godwin is projecting as way more popular as Mike Evans. So does that seem like a very early like correlation play where you're going to play the lower rostered guy? I mean, I don't want to say something on this podcast that I'm going to regret, but I mean, what could go wrong with the Baker Mayfield wide receiver in week one? Am I right? Uh, but no, <laughs> it's a great point because any given week, Mike Evans is certainly capable of putting up more points than Chris Godwin. Look to week 17 last year when Tom Brady threw those touchdowns uh, to Mike Evans. But like you said, it's not that big of a price difference. If Goblin was like 5,200 projecting extremely well and Evans was like 7K for some odd reason, it'd be like, yeah, but you're giving up so much salary. In this specific example, you're only giving up $400 to go up to Mike Evans and you're getting a massive discount on the roster percentage. So I think in this specific scenario, thinking about it in that lens is a very uh, good example of, of how to do this. If you're one of those people, it's like, hey, I'm not great with spreadsheets. You're not great with optimizers. Then one of the most practical things you could do for roster percentages is look at it in the optimizer, but then write it down in a notebook. So I work through each game slate by slate before I even look at the optimizer. Okay. So I'll write down Vikings, Buccaneers. I'll write down the salaries. I'll identify the players I like and go, hey, I think that he projects more as cash play. And I'll write next to Mike Evans. Like, that seems like a good GPP play. And you could write down. So if your team team notebook, you can do it that way. For me, one of my best things to do is just to write down a list of my priors beforehand. Okay, before I look at all the projections, I just say, hey, I want this game to go off. Hey, I, I don't like Jared Goff this week or whatever it is. It's usually an anti-Lions take. I just write those things down so that they're out there as opposed to just you know rattling around in our head. It, it just stays there. But in a notebook, I can actually see. And then even better, I can look back the next week and go, oh, I was super biased, like from Tuesday on. And you can actually move on. So that's part of the mental games that I think people can, um, I don't know, people can actually move forward with. But let's give two important questions here. And then a couple examples will be out. These are the questions that I want to 
give to you if you're listening and ask yourself when you look at a roster percentage report, if you look in our optimizer, ask these questions. Who is popular and why are they popular? So how do we dig into that question even further? Like who is popular and why are they popular? Yeah, that's that's such an easy question to ask, but it's kind of difficult to answer sometimes. And I think part of it is like sometimes they're popular just because the price is like is great. And then people kind of get like stuck on that player in that range. And so you get blind spots. Like you talked about it with uh, with Joe Mixon, you know, projected slightly worse, I would say maybe than like Ken Walker or the other guys that are right there in that price point. But you you usually pick and choose like different price points. And so if there is a guy that is like the cash play that week or a very good play, the guys going around him in roster percentage will get a blind spot usually. So that's kind of one reason that happens. But also too, like sometimes, you know, there will be recent trends that people are a little bit more worried about. Like like last year, there was a couple weeks where like Mixon was very not great <laughs> for fantasy. And so then you people were off of him, right? And, and that'll happen too. So those are a couple of reasons why certain players get steamed up and are popular. Uh, but if you're looking, willing to move past those and look past those, you can identify some blind spots. Yeah. And often it'll just be totally, this is the matchup, you know, like we've seen what this team's done and, and you and I look at the matchups every single week and it can be really easy just to move forward with that week 17. The, some of the most popular players were lions and bears because well, the lions defense wasn't great. And Justin Fields has been going bananas. Justin Fields had a terrible week for DFS. He sunk lineups. And what's crazy is that the Lions put up a ton of points, like over 30. And yet, other than Jared Goff, like going for 22 points, it was pretty bad. Like if you went Amon Ra, if you went anywhere else. So my point is we're saying like you can have a matchup you like, you can understand why a player is popular, and it just doesn't mean it's going to happen every single week. So keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, certain players. So the first question is who is popular and why? And then the next question is, based on who's popular, how would you attack this slate? And so there's really, I would say, five different stances you could take to a player based on the roster percentages. And you can correct me if you feel a little different, but here's the percentages I put down in my mind. So if a player is popular, you can do one of these five things. You can completely remove them from your player pool, which I don't advise doing if they're popular. Don't like, don't just write someone off. Um... I would actually say don't remove any players that project above, you know, 15%. Just don't even do it because you will get buried. So don't just remove them immediately. You can fade the player, meaning, hey, I'm just going to concede that, hey, their median outcome is not that great and don't really like them. But I would say what you and I mostly would tell people to do is to take one of these three approaches. You can be underway to player, okay? I, I get why people like them. I maybe don't love this player, but I will correlate this player in, my, in some lineups, okay? I'll be below the roster percentage. So let's say they're, you know, 15%. You're like, I'm going to come in at like 10 to 12% in, in, in my total lineups because you think their ceiling's not as good, all right? That, that's really the reason you do that is you don't love the player and you don't think the ceiling outcome is great. You can be with the field if you say, hey, I totally get it. I like what the field's doing and I can actually see their ceiling outcome, you know, 25% of the time, I can totally see it. If you want to be overweight the field, if somebody's 15% rostered, then you think not only are they a great play, but the field isn't on them enough. And you think their ceiling outcome is closer to like 33% of the time they're going to hit it. Now, 
it's not really going to happen that often, but you need to be that bullish where you're saying, I think the ceiling outcome, everybody's underrating this. And I think they're undervalued by the field, but you don't need to go bonkers, right? Like you don't need to say, I love this player so much. I'm playing them in hundred percent of my lineups. If everyone else is only playing them like 5%. For sure. I think that's a good way to think about it is those three options, you know, underweight, overweight, and even, and sometimes like it's okay to not have a take on a player. Like they're just, project okay and like the price makes sense and they correlate with a game we like like okay I, I see the path i'm not over the moon about it but i'm willing to accept that this is probably very efficient as far as the roster percentage and you just go with it that's totally fine um i think i i'm more willing to completely remove a player from my player pool if they are a fragile projection and sometimes projections look they matter they can't capture everything like the best example is two years ago in week one Marquez Callaway, right? We, we brought it up on the show multiple times. He just crushed in the preseason, caught two deep balls from Jameis Winston. It was a Monday Night Football game in the preseason. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, he, we need to draft him in, in the ninth round of best ball leagues now. And he obviously <laughs> didn't work out. But in week one, because the pricing came out so early, he was like 3,400. And it's like, guys, we don't even know if this player is good. Like, we don't even know if he's going to play a full rap tree. Like, we know nothing, but everyone is just assuming he's going to be the dude. He was like 30, 40% in week one because of his price. That example is a player I would just X out for me personally in a, in a large field tournament because I know that projection isn't sticky. I know it's fragile. I know we don't have any data on that guy. And he'd been in the league for a couple of years and didn't do anything. So it's okay, especially with these cheap wide receivers that sometimes pop up as like good cash plays. It's okay, I think, to, to X out those guys. That's my personal take anyway. Yeah, and the way that I usually go about this isn't just player by player. It's usually game by game. Like I usually say like, oh, I really like this game. Here's the three or four games I want to stack. Uh, the question I see all the times is how many lineups do you guys build? And it's different per each slate. But the way I usually think is what are the three games that I want to mostly build around? You know, what are the, what are the games that I want to stack and say, okay, you know, it's Mahomes, Kelsey and a bring back. Those are the, that's the stack that I'm going to start off with, you know, from this game, or, you know, I'm going to bring, I really like this running back and this wide receiver or two wide receivers. I'm going to use them as a correlation piece. Start with those kind of things. Start with the actual stack that you're looking at as opposed to just individual players because you will go crazy. There are so many wide receivers that you can be overweight, underweight, fate. Like there's way too many of them. And you're only starting three and maybe one more in the flex. So keep keep that in mind. Here are my helpful hints to kind of end this episode. Okay. We've said a lot. We've laughed a lot. We've gone a lot of different places. Amen, amen. Um, <laughs> here's my helpful hints. When you are thinking about roster percentages and you're thinking about tournaments, make sure you're reviewing the slate. Make sure you're not just asking yourself who's popular. Look at the slate. Look at it game by game. And then do what I said earlier. Look at the best plays, the best projections, and correlation stacks. Start with that, okay? I, there's a reason that Betts and I did a whole episode on GPP strategy and then got to roster percentages. It can be so easy to get caught up in this player's popular, this player's not, that you just miss the simple thing, like which games do you like? Who's going to correlate? That's why we keep saying that. So if you've reviewed the slate, if you've written down the best plays, correlation stacks, then you can analyze how you and the field will act. That, that's what roster percentages are. Here's how I'm going to act. I'm going to go overweight, underweight. This is how the field's going to act. They have this player at 25%, and I that's that's too much for me. You can then develop a strategy by saying, here's the most popular players. You know, like, 
here are the top seven running backs this week. And here are the paths that, hey, if this player doesn't hit, you know, let's say Travis Etienne doesn't hit, then you get to find out, hey, it's Christian Kirk week. That's what it was last year. You know, you, you go that direction. Then you construct your rosters. And then at the very end, you can shoot to be between 100, 120%, wherever you need to be. Um, keep in mind, you need 230 points, right? Like to, over 200 points is what you need for a, you know, to really hit in a small field, 180. In the Million Maker, you need 240. Yeah, these large field tournaments, you need to be perfect, which is why I play small field. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's so frustrating too. I see people this, they, they send in their line. It's like, oh, I wish I would have played this in this, you know, contest. You're like, oh, I would have won that contest. It's like, I get it. I totally get it because, you know, a Millie Maker lineup. I mean, I remember there was a couple weeks last year where just the chalk hit and like you cashed if you were like at like 185 or 190. And it's like, that's how it works sometimes. It's it's different based on the contest. So learn your strengths, learn what's good, but it still comes back to the same thing uh, about correlation in our projections. So uh, any final words for the GPP bros and gals out there? Dude, I think that puts puts an end to it here with our series of strategy episodes. If you're new to this, like seriously, go back, listen to the last couple episodes. It'll prime you for next week because man, we jump right into it after the long weekend. Yep. On Tuesday, we will be talking showdown strategy in the first game of the year, Detroit and Kansas City. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a great time. Bet sign people off. Tell them to have a good weekend. Dude, it's going to be a great weekend. We got drafts coming up this weekend. Make sure you're in the UDK Plus. The DFS pass will go live early next week. For all of you that purchased it, we can't uh, be more excited for this season. It's going to be a ton of fun. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.